Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're making travel plans, remember johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is our Priceline affiliate link. So if you purchase through johnnydollarair.com, part of your purchase price goes to support the great detectives of old time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com first. Now it's time for the conclusion of the Plantagenet Manor episodes 3, 4, and 5. And the original air dates are March 7th, March 8th, and March 9th of 1956. Let's go ahead and take a listen. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is the hotel operator. Ready with your call, Mr. Dollar. Oh, good. Police Department, Sergeant Peters. I want to talk to somebody in the personnel division. Uh, Sorry, I haven't got one. What can I do for you? I want to get some information about a gun, find out who it was licensed to and so on. Uh, Come down to licensing division. I think we can help you there. Where's that? Uh, 220 City Hall. Do you have the weapon? Uh, yes. Be sure and bring it along with you. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Special Investigator Johnny Dollar for personal reasons. Location, Vicksburg, Virginia. Purpose? Well, it all started as an investigation of a burglary at the Plantagen Hotel. Once that was out of the way, I happened to run across a girl having an argument with a man in the hotel parking lot. She asked me to help her. I did. Girl suddenly gets sick and dies. Poison. I stay around to help find out who she is. I don't know that. But I do know that she had a 38 in her purse. Three bullets recently fired. Expense account item eight, $2, cab fare, from the Plantagen Hotel to two miles into Vicksburg City Hall and room 220 as per instructions of Sergeant Peters. I felt more than a little guilty bypassing Lieutenant Jim Akins, who had questioned me earlier about the case. Yes? Sergeant Peters? That's right. Can I help you, sir? I hope so. I'd like to know if this gun's been registered with you people. Let's have a look. Hmm. You just buy it? Uh, yeah. Got your bill of sale with you? Well, do you have to have one? You should. Who'd you buy it from? Oh, a fellow I met in a bar. Have you a permit to carry this weapon? Well, no, I haven't. Are you going to carry it? Oh, no, no. Then why'd you buy it? Oh, I just wanted it, that's all. Is there a law against that? No, no. But there's a law against practically every other thing about a gun. You want to read those numbers off to me? Sure. JJJ-4769-992. And then there's an X. Okay. Make, Colt, caliber, 38, automatic, seven shot. Yeah. Here, you'll have to fill this out. Pencil's over there. This will take a minute for me to check. 
It took 15 minutes. In the meantime, I filled out the form, which notified the Vicksburg police that I was in possession of the above-described weapon, that I did not wish to apply for a permit to carry it, and so forth and so forth. After that, I stood around and smoked a cigarette and wondered if I should step downstairs and tell Lieutenant Jim Akins that I had found Jane Doe's purse and the gun. But before I had time to make up my mind... Here we go. The gun was purchased in 1950 by the Piedmont Banking Service. That's a local armored truck outfit over on Maple Street. The gun was permitted for carrying to Raymond W. O'Connell, 232 Polk Street, this city. Thanks. Raymond O'Connell? Yeah. Anything else? Well, that's all. Thanks. That was when I could have, but didn't, walk downstairs to Lieutenant Aiken's office. Instead, I walked outside with a gun in my pocket and the slip of paper containing the name and address of the man who had carried it, Raymond O'Connell. Expense account item 9, $25. Deposit on a rented car to get me to 232 Polk Street. Hardly ready. Hello. Oh, I was expecting someone else. I'm so sorry. You're not Paul, are you? No, I'm afraid not. My name's Johnny Dollar. Oh, Mr. Dollar? That's right. Well, what can I do for you, Mr. Dollar? I'm looking for Raymond O'Connell. Ray? Yes. Come inside, Mr. Dollar. Thank you. I really didn't mean to throw myself at you at the door. I thought you were someone else I'm expecting. Uh, I'm Terry. Terry? Teresa. Terry O'Connell, Mr. Dollar. Oh, his wife? I'm Ray's widow. What? Ray's dead, Mr. Dollar. Passed away over a year ago. It was pneumonia. Oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. O'Connell. Please call me Terry. You had no way of knowing about him, I'm sure. And please don't be uncomfortable. A great many of Ray's friends from the service come by who have no idea that he's dead. Were you in his company, too? Oh, just a minute, Mrs. O'Connell. I he think you He had you're... so many friends and met so many people while he was in the service, and really there was no way for you to you know. You don't understand, Mrs. O'Connell. I never knew. I'll get knew. you a drink and we'll talk. Where did you serve with Ray? You know, he finally became a pilot. What do you like to drink? She was young and dark and very pretty. And as the widow of a man who died rather suddenly, she was doing her best to put me at my ease. I would have told her I was there checking out the registration on a 38 that had been used by her dead husband. I would have told her I found the gun in the purse of an unidentified dead girl I'd met the night before. But she was trying to be polite, mistaking me for a friend of her dead husband. And then I saw the picture in the frame on the mantel, a broad, smiling face that belonged to a man I'd met in the parking lot of the Plantagen Hotel... An unidentified man who had been arguing with the dead girl. The words on the picture said, To Terry, all my love. You know him? Paul? Paul? Yes, Paul Dameron. I think I met him once. I really didn't know his name. Was he a friend of your husband, of Ray's? Oh, no. No, he never knew Ray. He's a darling, Mr. Dollar. Paul is. A real darling. After Ray died, I tried something very foolish. 
I tried to end my life. And then Paul came into it. He's been very lovely to me. We're... Well, I don't know why I shouldn't tell you. We're going to be married. I think that's fine, Terry. Do you really? Sure. I'm glad you say that. I'm not the most courageous person in the world. I suppose Ray mentioned our lives together. It was perfect with Ray, Mr. Dollar. Perfect. But now Ray's gone. And I've been able to face that. I think I'm going to find a new life with Paul. You must meet him. He'll be here soon. We're dining out tonight. Well, perhaps you'll join us. Well, thank you, Mrs. O'Connell, but I, I can't make it tonight. How long will you be in Vicksburg? I don't know exactly. Where are you staying? The Plantagen Hotel. Well, perhaps I could give you a ring and we could make it another night. I know you want to talk about Ray. Of course, Paul understands. I'm sure he does. He's truly a wonderful person. He hadn't looked very wonderful the night before, standing in the parking lot arguing with a girl who had died. But then that was my side of the picture, and it wasn't complete. And somebody still had to explain the 38 with the three bullets missing. I left Terry O'Connell, went outside and bought an evening paper, and then sat in my rented car reading it. The photographer at the morgue had done a good job. The unidentified girl's picture was on page one. I was reading the story over a second time when a dark business coupe pulled up behind me and Paul Dameron got out, heading for Terry O'Connell's doorway. Just a minute. What? Just a minute. Hello, Paul. What? You. Yeah, me. Now look, Dameron. What are you doing here? How'd you know my name? Or are you some professional gunsel coming around to sock me again? I still oh, don't... stop th- it, will you, Dameron? My name's Johnny Dollar. I want you to tell me who that girl was last night in the parking lot. The one you had the big argument with. Huh? Oh. Well, you were the big hero there, butting in where it was none of your business. I didn't like it then, and I... All right, simmer down, will you? Who was she? Come on, what's her name? What's it to you? Oh, Dameron. Okay, okay. It's Amy. Amy Duran. Amy Duran. Yeah. We work at the same office. Now, look, Buster, I'm not afraid of you, but I... I don't want any trouble, see? So if you'll just go somewhere else and... Wait a minute, will you? How does Amy Duran tie in with Teresa O'Connell? Look, I don't know who you are or what you're after, but you've certainly got your nerve about... Answer me, Paul. Okay, okay. Terry is Amy's sister. Satisfied? I don't know. Who are you, anyhow? A policeman or something? My name is Johnny Dollar. I'm here because Because of... Because if you aren't, I want to know what right you have to ask me all these questions. Cool off, will you? I've been trying to find out who she is. Because last night after you went off, we had a drink together. Then she got sick and I took her to a hospital. She died there. What? She died. She's lying in the morgue right now, unidentified. It was some kind of poison that killed her. Amy... Dead? No, I don't believe it. Here. It's in the paper tonight. The police are trying to identify her right now. I can't believe it. Poison. Oh, Dollar, I, I didn't think Amy was that desperate. There was a way out. She could have solved it without this. Way out of what? It... There was no need for her to do this. I told her I'd help her. I had no idea she... Poison. Does Terry know? Not yet. Not yet. 
I, I've got to tell her before she sees it like this in the newspaper. It'll be awful for a dollar awful. Look, I apologize for the way I've acted. The way I was last night, I... I was upset. I can see now you're trying to help. Now, let me go in and break this to Terry. Call me later. Here, my card. Call me. I had to admit that Paul Dameron's concern seemed as genuine as his surprise. He rushed up to be admitted to the O'Connell house. After he was inside the door, I went back to my car and took out the 38 automatic that had led me to the sister of Amy O'Connell. Three bullets still missing. I drove downtown to the Vicksburg police station to turn the gun into Lieutenant Akins and tell him the whole story as I knew it. How I'd found the gun in the dead girl's purse. How I'd managed to find out her name. The three missing bullets and other unanswered questions were up to the police. Yeah, well, I, I... Oh, hi, Dollar. Thought you'd left town. Joe? All right, Joe. As soon as they clear that place up, you notify the lab. Hi, Lieutenant. Hi. I'm trying to get to you. I think I have something that better be looked into. Oh, re- oh excuse me. Lieutenant Akins. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, well, well, in about 15 minutes. Right. I'm sorry, Dollar. What was it you were saying? Why all the hustle? Something big? Oh, homicide. Happened yesterday sometime. Yeah? Who got it? Guy named Belden. Somebody shot him three times with a 38. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Mr. Oldfield calling, sir. You left word at my office, Mr. Dollar? That's right, Mr. Oldfield. I think I'm going to need an attorney. Divorce? Civil suit? What, Mr. Dollar? Withholding evidence. Murder. Let's take the murder first. Who did it? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I have the murder weapon in my possession right now. Who was killed? A man named Belden, I think. What do you want me to do, sir? Take my statement, notarize it, give me some legal advice. Where are you? Police station in the pay booth down the hall from Homicide. I'll meet you there in five minutes. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Vicksburg, Virginia. To Special Investigator Johnny Dollar for personal reasons. Attention, Chief Accountant, Eastern Seaboard Casualty Insurance Corporation, Providence, Rhode Island. Dear Jim, I'm attaching my own expense sheet to your bill for clarification purposes. Expense account item 10, 10 cents. One cup of coffee at the counter in the lobby of the Vicksburg Police Station while I waited for Samuel W. Oldfield, attorney at law, to appear. He was there in exactly five minutes. Mr. Dollar? That's right. Sam Oldfield, sir. You're the only one here in the lobby, so I figured you were the right man. Yeah. Cup of coffee, Mr. Oldfield? No thanks. Gives me heartburn. But now sit down, will you? That was a pretty interesting phone call. Tell me, who are you, sir? Johnny Dollar. I'm a private insurance investigator. Mm-hmm. How'd you get my name? I looked it up in the yellow pages of the telephone directory. You don't live here in Vicksburg? No, I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. All right, sir. Now, tell me about the murder and the withholding of information. Maybe I better start from the top. Go right ahead, any way you like. Well, two days ago, I flew down here to investigate a small burglary at the Plantagen Hotel. It was already solved by the time my plane got in. Police? Yeah. I had nothing better to do, so I waited around the hotel bar for my return reservation back to Hartford. Then I happened to walk outside to the parking lot for a breath of fresh air. 
I saw a woman and a man standing there arguing. When I got close to them, the woman asked me to help her. I did. How do you mean? Well, the, the man she was with started to act like a kid. He got rough. So I shoved him away. Go on. Well, the woman was upset. So I took her inside the hotel and bought her a drink. After that, I put her in a cab and started to send her on her way. She started to act sick about that. Wait. Is this the woman whose picture was in the paper tonight? The one who died of poisoning and the police don't know who she is? Yeah. I don't know who she is, Mr. Oldfield. Except that her name's Amy Duran. I found out her name because I found her purse and there was a gun in it. A thirty-eight Colt registered to a man named O'Connell. I checked on the gun here at headquarters, went out to the address and found out O'Connell was a bank guard and had died about a year ago. I talked to his wife, Teresa O'Connell. While I was there, the man I'd seen the night before showed up. His name's Paul Dameron. Now, I didn't tell him or Mrs. O'Connell about the gun. I came down here to give it to the police and tell them. But when I got here, Lieutenant Akins was pretty busy trying to solve the murder of a man named Belden, who'd been shot with a thirty-eight three times. There are three slugs missing from the gun I found. You got a light, sir? Yeah. Here you go. When you uh, found Amy Duran's purse, why didn't you turn it over to the police? Oh, I thought I... Well, somehow I thought maybe I could help the girl. I mean, her last words before she died were, help me. And for some reason or other, I, I thought maybe I could. Do you have any cards or letters, anything like that? Something that says you're what you say you are, sir? Yeah, sure. Let's see. Okay, Dollar. Now, as I see it, you probably hooked up with someone who did some shooting. And that's what worries you. I want you to take my statement and notarize it before I turn the gun in. That'll protect you some. If they want to get nasty, they can, though. You know that. Yeah, I know. Well, as I see it, the main job here is to try to keep you out of trouble. And a statement explaining your motive for participation in the whole affair might help. That's why I called you. All right, then. Now, Dollar. Yeah? You didn't shoot anybody, did you? No. Okay, then, sir. Let's go over to my office. We did, and I made the necessary statement, and Mr. Oldfield notarized it. After that, I went back to the Vicksburg police station to talk to Lieutenant Akins. The 38 I'd found in Amy Duran's purse was still in my pocket, and her words were still in my mind. Help me. Please help me. Thought you was going back to Hartford, Dollar. Oh, I uh, decided to hang around and see what came up. Mm-hmm. Nothing so far on the girl. No one's recognized a picture in the paper. Had to turn that over to missing persons. This murder case going to eat up all my time. What happened, Lieutenant? Oh, maid at the apartment house where this man Belden was staying found him late this afternoon. He'd been dead about 24 hours, shot with a thirty-eight. You sure? I'm sure. We did a post-mortem right away. It's a pretty sad case. You, uh, you know who shot him? <laughs> Have a pretty good idea. See, this Belden, he was an auditor working on some books at a firm of textile wholesalers here. Richmond Limited. The papers scattered around his apartment show he'd found a $10,000 shortage going over their books. And the chief accountant for this Richmond company is missing. Yeah, well, that does make it seem pretty clean. Yeah, all we have to do is find that accountant. 
Had an APB out for half an hour now. I think we'll pick her up pretty soon. Her? Who? Well, her, Dollar. The chief accountant for Richmond Limited. She's a woman. Name of uh, Amy Duran. To all appearances, Amy Duran had been guilty of embezzling money and murdering the auditor Belden who had discovered the shortages in her books. I didn't tell Higgins that his suspect was the girl lying in the morgue at the moment unidentified. I knew that it was only a matter of minutes before her sister or Paul Dameron would be down to identify her. And for the third time, I didn't tell Lieutenant Higgins about the gun. I knew if I turned that over to him, it would be a closed case all around. And somehow I didn't want it closed on Amy Duran. Not that way. For that reason, I went back to my hotel room for a couple of hours and... Then about 9 o'clock that night, I found myself over on Polk Street at Teresa O'Connell's house once more. Oh. Hello, Mrs. O'Connell. Oh, uh, Mr. Dollar, isn't it? Yes. Oh, Mr. Dollar, I, I had the most awful news tonight. My sister Amy... She's dead. You'll have to excuse me. I'm sorry. May I come in? I'd like to talk to you about your sister, Mrs. O'Connell. Well, I... I... Paul came in with tonight's paper and showed me Amy's picture. He went down the morgue to identify her. I couldn't bear to. Sure. I feel somehow, in some way, that... Your friend, Mr. Dollar? Mrs. O'Connell, I am a friend in a way. But mostly I'm an insurance investigator. What? You thought I was a friend of your dead husband when I came here earlier. I'm not. I never even knew him. But, Mr. Dollar, I don't understand. I met your sister, Amy, last night. I was the last one to speak to her before she died. I took her to the emergency hospital last night. Well, wait, wait. This is all very confusing. You say you're insurance investigator? Yes. Now, when... Well, I got your address from a gun I found in your sister's purse... I traced it through the license to carry. This gun, Mrs. O'Connell. Your husband was licensed to carry it when he worked for a banking firm. Do you recognize it? Oh, yes, I suppose I do. I think it's one of Ray's guns. Now, please, please, let me find something out first. Believe me, I do want to help. Did you know your sister had this gun? Oh, no. What would Amy want with a gun? I mean, well, she could have picked it up here any time she came over and probably did. But why would Amy have a gun in her purse? Sit down, please. Now, Mrs. O'Connell, you better listen to me carefully. Sometime late yesterday afternoon or early evening, a man named Belden was shot and killed. Clarence Belden? Yes. Why, he worked with an auditing firm. Amy spoke of him. (sighs) Mr. Dollar. Wait now, wait. Listen to the rest of this. Belden had been working on books for Richmond Limited. As I understand it, your sister Amy was responsible for those books. Right now, the police have enough evidence to figure that your sister stole $10,000 from Richmond Limited. Amy? Oh, no. Now, hear me out, Mrs. O'Connell. They have that evidence in bulk form. They certainly have reason to assume, and they are assuming, that your sister shot Belden to keep him quiet about the shortage. How can you say those things about Amy when she's not here to defend herself? Please, please, I'm just telling you what's going on downtown, what they've found. This gun they don't have yet. I've withheld it. It has been fired three times recently. Belden was shot three times. By now, your sister's body has no doubt been identified. They've already established that she died of poisoning. 
And they halfway have the idea that she committed suicide. No. Oh, don't you see? They'll say she shot Belden to cover up and keep it quiet, and then saw how useless it was, took poison and killed herself to escape punishment. You're horrible. Horrible. Go away. Go away from me. I'm sorry, but in the face of all this, I want to help her if I can, if it isn't too late. I want to help you. But, Mrs. O'Connell, you'll have to help me. Now, why? Why would your sister steal? Why? I don't know. I think you do know. Tell me, please, for her sake, Mrs. O'Connell. Why? What have you got to do with her? I met her only for a few minutes, but in that few minutes, I got the idea that she was a pretty nice person. She didn't strike me as a thief. She didn't look like a killer. And most of all, she didn't look like a woman who'd take the suicide way out of things. Now, that's all I have, except that she asked me to help her. And I'm trying to do that now. Believe me, I want to help her if I can. I've always been an awful child, Mr. Dollar. When Ray died, I tried to kill myself. Amy saved me. I remember then, at the hospital. She was beside my bed, and she said to me, I'll make you want to live again. I'll make you. Amy was always like that, kind and decent. You weren't wrong about her. She was decent, thoughtful, good. She, she did everything for me. She gave me these clothes and a car, introduced me to nice people from her office like Paul, Paul Dameron. Yes. That must be where all the money went to. Not on herself, but on me, for me. I'm the only reason I can think of that she'd take money from the firm. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know she was stealing from me. I didn't know. I wouldn't have let her do it. She didn't have to pamper me that much. I'm not that much of a child. She didn't have to do it. She didn't have to do it. Wait. Wait a minute. She didn't kill herself. She didn't steal. She didn't murder that man. I did all those things because it was all for me. Jenny Dollar. This is Paul Dameron, Mr. Dollar. I was afraid you left town and I wanted to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I wanted to thank you for your kindness about Amy and the way you handled Terry. It was darn decent of you. Of course, I want to apologize for my attitude again. How's Mrs. O'Connell? Terrible. I mean, the papers this morning connected her sister Amy with murdering Belden and committing suicide. I'm curious. How did you get to her? I found Amy's purse and there was a gun in it. I looked up the registration. Oh, the murder gun. I don't know. I haven't turned it over to the police yet. Why? Because I still can't believe Amy Duran was the kind of girl who'd shoot a man and then take poison. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Vicksburg, Virginia. To Special Investigator Johnny Dollar for personal reasons in connection with the plant agent matter. Expense account item 11, $15, legal fees, for services rented by lawyer Sam Oldfield. No sign here, Dollar. And here, sir. Okay, I guess that's it. What now, Mr. Oldfield? This statement you've made to me clearly states your intentions in this matter, your motives. You attempted to help a girl who died in your company. You had no idea she might have committed a murder or embezzled $10,000. You withheld evidence, 
the gun you found in her purse in the hope of identifying her and saving her family some grief. I hope you don't have to use this stuff. We'll see. I'm going to turn the gun in now, and you're coming with me. It's about time. Hmm? Nothing personal, son. I think you did a lot of dumb things for her. From what they're saying in the papers about her, I don't think she deserted. But then we all make wrong guesses sometimes, I suppose. Ah, let's get this over with. Lawyer Sam Oldfield accompanied me downtown to police headquarters where we sought out Lieutenant Akins and turned over the 38 automatic. Oldfield handed the statement over to him and he read it through. Then he called in his ballistics man to make an immediate check of the gun. When he'd done that, Akins asked Oldfield and myself to wait. He left. An hour later, he came back. You are a lucky boy, Dollar. First off, I'm going to tell you, that gun you've been withholding, that's the same weapon that killed the auditor, Clarence Belden. Okay, now, you played it as safe as you could, and you hired this lawyer to protect you when it came to turning it in. Well, you didn't need him. Huh? Any other time, I'd have put you in the poker so fast you'd have thought you was born there. This time, I'm feeling generous. You can go, Mr. Oldfield. Me? You. No charges against Mr. Dollar of withholding information? No, not this time. I got my Jane Doe identified. I know her motive for killing the auditor. I know why she took the poison. You generally don't get everything in a neat package like that, so I feel generous. Then let's get out here, Dollar. You get out. I want to talk to Dollar. Then I'll stay and listen. It's okay, Mr. Oldfield. I'm going to get a lecture is all. Are you sure? Yeah. Call me later, then. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Yeah. One thing more, Dollar. We found an empty bottle of paramythol in Amy Duran's medicine cabinet, and that cinches that suicide part, in case you had any doubts. It's a closed case. Uh-huh. But you didn't help me close it, Dollar, and you could have. You worked with the police for years. You were an officer yourself once. What makes you think you can come down here and run around doing all these things you've done and get away with them? Why didn't you turn that gun in with the purse as soon as you found it? All right, I'll tell you, because I... Oh, it doesn't make any difference now, Lieutenant. You've got your case. And you're lucky, darn lucky boy. I don't have you, too. Because you know just well as I do that... Lieutenant Akins. Okay, right away. Dollar, I got business to take care of. Next time you're in my town, (laughs) you take it easy. I will. But I don't think I'll ever come to your town again. On general principles. Well, I guess I know how you felt about that girl. I'm not going to make any fuss about what you did. But I don't think I'd let it pass a second time. She sure didn't look the part, did she? No. She didn't. Well, happens that way sometimes. What you told me about that kid sister of hers trying suicide and so forth after she lost her husband. Well, Amy Duran had a good motive for stealing that money. If motive can ever be good. Dollar, Lieutenant? Huh? I, uh, I was just on my way to see you, Lieutenant. I'll be back in my office in a couple of minutes. You can go on in and wait, Mr. Dameron. Glad I saw you, Mr. Dollar. I think there's something I should explain to you. You'd be interested in this, too, Lieutenant. Mr. Dollar saw me arguing with Amy Duran in a parking lot at the Plant Agent Hotel last night. She just told me about the shortage in accounts. 
She hadn't told me about killing the auditor. I want you to know that I was racking my brain trying to find a way to get hold of some money to make up the shortage. I was always very fond of Amy. I, uh, wonder, Mr. Deller, if I could give you a check. Huh? Something for your kindness. Nothing, thanks. Well, I, I'd like to. You did something very decent. No. Oh. Well, I suppose you'll be leaving soon. Goodbye, and thanks again. I'll, uh, be in your office, Lieutenant. Right. <laughs> Got to him, too, if it's any comfort. What was that business in the parking lot? Oh, well, I, I hit him. He was arguing with her, that's all. No. You weren't the only one trying to help a dollar. Him. And then there was somebody else. Huh? A bank. We found a certified check for $10,000 in Amy Duran's apartment. What? National Trust in New York, issued three days ago. I wired the head cashier in New York. He said Amy Duran phoned him long distance, requested the loan. Seems her folks, when they were alive, had a good pull at wait that minute, Wait a minute, hold it. Then this isn't right. She could have covered that shortage. Well, I figure she intended to do that, but the auditor found out too quick. He called her on it, and she shot him. With a $10,000 check in her hand? Well... There isn't an auditor or a bonding company going that wouldn't prefer to turn up the cash and the person who took it. They'd listen to any reasonable story. You know that. Well, the auditor must have scared her, Dollar. She shot him, didn't she? She committed suicide, didn't she? You make a lot of noise, Higgins, but you aren't any happier about this than I am, are you? No. Why let the papers have it the way it is? Well, so that whoever knows answer will get careless. Sure, it burns me. Somebody thinking the police are as dumb as this. Burns me. Well, what are you going to do? Wait. Just wait. I found that pretty hard to do. And the more I waited and the more I thought about the matter, the more restless I felt. So I didn't wait. I got out and started interviewing people who had known the murdered auditor. The consensus was that he knew his business. That if he'd found a shortage and someone offered to reimburse the company, he had been the kind of old hand who would have listened to them. Why, I asked myself, if Amy Duran had a $10,000 check to cover her shortages, why did she shoot the auditor and then commit suicide? Why? It didn't make sense. Oh, Dollar. Hello, Dameron. Come in, Dollar. I'm uh, glad you dropped by. I thought you'd left town, gone back to Hartford. Well, I've stayed over so long waiting for all this to get cleared up, I thought I might as well stick around a while longer. Sure. Can I get you a drink? No, thanks. It uh, is finished, isn't it? Not yet. I don't understand. I talked with Lieutenant Aikens today after I saw you with him. He said it was all over as far as he was concerned. You're talking to me now, Dameron. I'm the guy who went out on the limb. And I appreciate that a great deal. A question I want to ask you. You knew Amy Duran, worked with her at Richmond Limited. You're engaged to marry her sister. Did you know Amy had a $10,000 check in her hand the day she died? Really? That was enough money to cover the shortages in her accounts. Well, I'll be darned. Where do you suppose she shot him? Did what she did then? I've been thinking about that, Dameron. There's only one reason I can think of. Because Amy Duran didn't steal any money, because she didn't shoot any auditor, she didn't commit suicide. I think she borrowed that $10,000 from New York to cover up for somebody else. Somebody else? Who? You. 
Maybe you better leave here. You're upset. That auditor was a smart guy. He'd been in the business a long time. He found out who'd been taking the money. He called you over to ask you about it, ask you if you could repay it. You lost your head and you shot him with a thirty-eight you picked up over at Teresa O'Connell's one day. Now, look. Then you fixed up all the reports to make it look like Amy Durand did the job. You're crazy. That's fantastic. If you think I'm Amy going Durand to... borrowed money to cover for you. She did it not because you were worth it, but because you meant something to her kid's sister. You meant something to Teresa O'Connell, who'd lost one husband and tried suicide because of it. A Teresa O'Connell who couldn't afford another major tragedy. A Teresa O'Connell who might try suicide again if the man she was going to marry turned out to be a thief. You counted on that, Dameron. I don't know what you're talking about. One now, you thing listen... you hadn't counted on was the auditor picking it up so fast. And when he called you, you had to kill him to keep him quiet. Then you made a date with Amy out at the plant agent hotel. You slipped poison in her drink and planted the gun in her purse. This is all talk. Just talk. You have nothing to prove she a single... She had one drink with you before you argued with her out in the parking lot. She told me. And the bartender later verified it. Then I came along. Now, look. You're a big guy, Dameron. You could have hit me back in that parking lot, but you didn't have time. You still had to get over to Amy's apartment and plant an empty poison box. You're crazy. You have no proof of this. No proof at all. No, I haven't. But I've been thinking about it all day. And there'll be proof. You had to buy that poison someplace. Lieutenant Akins is a pretty good police officer. He and his men will cover every drugstore in this town and ask questions everywhere. Now, listen, Dollar. I'm going to tell him what I think, and he'll dust off that box of poison. Maybe your prince will turn up on it. Sooner or later, guys like you make mistakes, and Akins finds them. Get out of here, Dollar. Get out of here. Now, listen, you. A girl, a fine, decent girl, asked me for help. This is the quickest way I know to give her the help. Help. I'll kill you, Dollar. I'll no, kill you. No, you won't. You're not going to kill me. Okay. Okay, come on. Come on. Get up. Get up. Get up. I, I've had enough. I've had enough. I want you to tell it now. Right now. Over there. Pick it up. Go on. Pick it up. Okay, here. And you know who to call. Hello. Hello. Give me the police. Expense account item 12, $55, room and board. Item 13, $55 airfare and miscellaneous getting me back to Hartford. Total expense account, $702.13. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, there'll be another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, beginning next Monday night. Next week, a whole city is aroused by one of the dirtiest rackets of modern times. And I end up right in the middle of things. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Michael Ann Barrett, Gene Bates, Marvin Miller, Frank Gerstel, Lawrence Dobkin, Jack Crucian, Ken Peters, and Herb Butterfield. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. Well, a really solid story. It does a good job of showing Johnny's humanity and is also a pretty good mystery story. Now, in his book, The Who Is Johnny Dollar Matter, John Abbott notes a discrepancy I hadn't caught before in that in the early episode, the gun in Amy's purse was stated to be a 32, and in the later episode, stated to be a 38. It's one of those little mistakes that happens, you know, when you're putting out so much radio, but it doesn't really uh, harm the listening experience. Uh, he also notes that this story was adapted from a half-hour Johnny Dollar script, but not one that we would recognize because we haven't heard it. The story was done as the New Cambridge Matter back on December the 19th of 1952. It was one of the really early John Lund stories. I did think it was smart of Johnny to hire a lawyer, even though he knew the lawyer was going to point out that the reason he needed a lawyer is because he'd done a lot of ill-advised things, although with the best possible motives. And the interplay between him and Aiken in episode 5, I really enjoyed that. One thing that Johnny did, which may have made things a little harder when talking to Teresa, was mentioning his uh, being an insurance investigator. That really seemed just to confuse her, and Johnny was not involved in the case in an official status. But I can understand him doing that because... That's how he is usually involved in these sort of cases. Well, listener comments and feedback now. Derek sent in an email uh, on the Bennett Matter. Johnny Dollar always has solid episodes, but the Bennett Matter, in my opinion, is the best I've ever heard. And then he sent up a follow-up email. I sent my first email as I got done listening to the episode. I'm now listening to your recap of the episode Shooting all kinds of holes in what I thought was one of my favorites. Lol. Well, thank you so much. Obviously, it's not my intent to diminish anyone's particular enjoyment of an episode. I think that when you approach something and you have, you know, listened to it a lot or you're... Uh, have heard so many episodes of a particular thing, you pick up things that other people don't. Like, I like uh, Star Trek and Star Wars, but there are people who are far more into it than I have and have watched hundreds and thousands of uh, hours of material you know, over and over again, and they will notice things that your average viewer doesn't, that you might just accept. Like, I remember a few years back having someone point out how utterly illogical it is on Star Trek that all of these log entries get uh, recorded in these great moments of peril. And it's silly if you think about it. But I will always love old school Star Trek, both the 60s and the 90s stuff, complete with all of the irrational log entries. Now we turn to YouTube and we have some uh, comments, uh, starting with a listener who writes, I love this episode. In the episode Triple Indemnity, uh, Gypsy Jackson wrote, Interesting name, 
of one of the characters in this episode, Fran Jeffers, was also an Arsenal and England football player whose promising career was dogged by injury. And of course, it, that's football in the rest of the world. United States, it's known as soccer. But uh, an interesting connection. I always catch up on the ones that are famous in America, like when we have characters named Alice Cooper and Jimmy Carter in the Golden Age of Radio. It's interesting to hear a British connection as well. And then we have a comment from Adele, who writes uh, regarding this ain't no way to run a railroad. I can just imagine my heavenly relatives sitting around the radio and listening. Thank you for doing this. Thinking of donating in the future. Love this. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your kind comment. And a thank you from Michael. And then we have a couple of comments on the froward fisherman matter. I've said it before and I'll say it again. A lot of actors play Johnny Dollar, but Bob Bailey is Johnny Dollar. Uh, thank you for this wonderful tribute week. I listen on YouTube, so I'm a month behind. Well, thanks so much. I think it's fair to say, without disrespecting those who played Johnny Dollar before Bailey, it, certainly there are some people who have no trouble disrespecting those who played Johnny Dollar before Bailey, is that his take on Johnny Dollar is a character that he created with Jack Johnstone. It's a terminology I didn't hear a lot growing up, but I've heard more recently to describe actors and talking about their work in creating a character. And I think that view applies. Certainly, uh, the idea of a guy with an expense account who was insurance investigator, that was something someone else came up with. But I, th I think you can look at the Johnny Dollar serials as a reboot of the character in our modern parlance. And we've already talked about recently how Jack Johnstone gave uh, Johnny this backstory that was disconnected from anything that had come before it in the backstory of past Johnny Dollar. So he does things uh, that other actors didn't and creates a different take on the character. And I think that to a degree, obviously Bob Reddick and Mandel Kramer, who would come later in the New York years, they would put their own spin on the character, but they would kind of start from the template that Bob Bailey put on it. So that's kind of how I've gotten to view Bailey's role. That doesn't make you know, what came before invalid, certainly. I think there's some really good acting, some really good writing to be had in those eras. But Bailey is, does, is doing something different that really connects with audiences and that at its core is what makes people love uh, this series. I will say, if you are listening on YouTube, you should soon be only two weeks behind the podcast. We're continuing to grow on YouTube, now have 9,000 subscribers. But thank you so much. I appreciate your kind comments. And then another comment, I don't know anything about fishing. The only time I went fishing with my father, I had to fight off two snapping turtles. And the game warden said it was unusual to see two snapping turtles that close together because they would normally kill each other. Thanks for sharing. I don't have a whole lot of fishing experience either. 
Uh, my dad only took me once, and I didn't even get attacked by snapping turtles. What's the deal with that? Finally, we turn to Apple Podcast Reviews and some controversy. A review from a listener named Thunderwalker writes, Stop posting partial episodes. Stop with these partial posts. If it's a multi-part post, up the parts as a single episode. This isn't live radio, so there is no schedule to worry about. Please stop doing this. Thanks. Alright, so let me go ahead and I will address this. Now, this particular review was actually a review of our yours truly Johnny Dollar fate. So I can get that it, because we have a, a special podcast feed for each series that we do. So people who just want to listen to one particular series can do that. Plus others who just want to go back once we finished a series uh, that we're going to, you know, go all the way through and stop like Richard Diamond or Philip Marlowe, then they can find that years later in the podcast store and go ahead and listen to it. So all you're looking at is episodes of that series, but there most definitely is a schedule because the yours truly Johnny Dollar episodes that we're posting on that feed are part of a much larger Great Detectives of Old Time Radio series, which uh, produces six episodes per week, Monday through Saturday, sticking to a schedule for podcast release is actually really important. In fact, uh, any sort of discussion of podcast and how to podcast is that you need to set a schedule and stick to it. And for the past 14 years, we've had a new episode every day, Monday through Friday. And for the past 10 and a half years, we've had a new episode on Saturday. And that consistency, I don't do everything right as a host, but being consistent in schedule is probably my greatest strength. So I'm not going to change that. And there's a far simpler solution. And I've had uh, listeners, uh, when I posted uh, episodes on social media, uh, listeners have said, okay, I'm going to go and listen to all five episodes. Meaning that they didn't listen to the program when it downloaded on Tuesday, and instead they waited to listen until uh, parts three through five downloaded. And if folks want to do that, that's no problem for me. And so I'd say respectfully to Thunderwalker, if you've got a problem with serial episodes being posted on separate days, wait until Friday, and then you can listen to all five parts together without any additional work or bother for anyone. I'll also add that one of the things that has really made the Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serials so well known is how malleable they are for hosts of old-time radio programs and eventually old-time radio podcasts. They lend themselves to a lot of different ways of being transmitted. I came across one radio program slash podcast where the host played one episode of a Johnny Dollar serial per day for a whole week, and that filled up the allotted time nicely. And I found another 
program where they do a very long program and they have enough space, so they uh, inserted the first three episodes of a serial into their episode, and I assume they'll play the next two the next week. There's not really a wrong way to play these, and that's what makes them so replayable. For this run through the serials, we're going to stick with what we set out to do. I will add that in future listener support campaigns, once we finished our run through the serials, we will do more omnibuses, and we have done uh, omnibus uh, programs as specials where we played all the episodes in a serial for around six of those already, and you can find those in the Yours Truly Johnny Dollar feed. Again, thanks so much for the comments, and we do have a couple other reviews in the Apple Store. A listener free via Apple TV writes, Multi-episodes are great. Keep them. And another listener on the Johnny Dollar feed praises an an episode as well told. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to leave those reviews. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Lease, Patreon supporter since July of 2017, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Lace. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And please be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Although, as I said, if you don't want to listen to part of the episode, you can just wait till Friday. There we'll have the whole thing there. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... But I want you to... Well, howdy, Jason. Hello, Sheriff. Uh, Ranger Pearson, this is Chuck Roberts and Jim Patrick. They're the ones that found the body. Howdy. All right. Hello, Ranger. That's your truck outside with the sheep in it? Yes, sir. We're uh, kind of anxious to get along, too. I've already talked to him, Jace. Is there anything you want to ask him? Yeah, in a few minutes. Why don't you men wait over there? It won't be long. Okay. Did you look at the body, Sheriff? Yeah, it's out back in the storeroom. Poor fella, he sure took an awful beat. Is that the door over there? Mm Mm-hmm. Jace, before you go out there, I want to show you something. What's that, Sheriff? Over here. Cash drawers, partly open. Yeah. Cleaned out all right. You men touch this cash register? No, Ranger, we ain't touched nothing. Just the phone when we called the sheriff. Okay. Well, there's the motive, Sheriff. Robbery. Kind of business the deacon did here. He couldn't have had more than 15 or $20 in that thing. It's a lot of money to some people. Yeah. How about those beer bottles down at the end of the counter? Were they yours? No, sir. Hmm. Golden box. Looks like the deacon had a thirsty customer. Uh, Jace, look here by the refrigerator. Isn't that a blood stain? It sure is. What do you make of that? It looks like the deacon might have been slugged right here. If the man who was drinking that golden bock was sitting at the counter, he could have done it when the deacon had his back turned. Guess he wasn't hit with a bottle or there'd be some broken glass around. It wouldn't have to be a bottle. Could have been anything. Come on, let's take a look at the body. There's some blood here by the door. Yeah. The body's right behind this barrel, Jason. Huh. He sure did take a beating, didn't he? Yeah. I figured it must have happened last night around closing time. Else he'd have been found before this. The deacon do much morning business? Oh, a little bit. Didn't amount to a hill of beans. Nighttime seems more logical. Yeah, I'd think so. I wonder if they cleaned his pockets out, too. I don't know. Yes, I better have a look. Find anything, Jake? Eh, a few coins, some keys, that's all. I'll... 
I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.